Welcome to Gospel Conversations and the Breakfast with Jesus series. This is a postscript to the talk I gave recently on Ezekiel and what are called the glory bookends of Ezekiel. In that talk, I said that the visions that frame or are the bookends of Ezekiel is the glory withdrawing from the temple and then the glory returning to the temple. And what I talked about in that talk was that this framework, this architecture, reframed Israel's problem of exile from a heavenly perspective. It, it, it actually reframed it as glory withdrawing from human habitation. And in that talk, I said that this reframed the gospel of salvation in several ways. One of the ways that I mentioned was that the picture of sin that provoked the glory withdrawing was not our traditional Western evangelical picture of sin, that is as an individual introspective grappling with guilt, something that was internal. It wasn't that at all. It was a geopolitical concept of sin. It was Israel's failure as a nation to fulfill the promises of God. And this was particularly evident in its leaders and, and in their treatment of the poor and in their idolatry. It was not the main point of the talk, but it is a significant theme we've got. This picture of sin in the evangelical gospel, which is highly individualized, quite intensified, and get, then gets theologized into total depravity, which is something we feel is a distortion of the gospel. And it clearly underpins the whole concept of penal substitutionary atonement, that concept of individual sin. I thought it was worthwhile drawing your attention to an article, actually it was a talk given in 1961 by a significant theologian. He was the dean of the of Harvard Divinity School. He was a European man called Krista Stendhal. And this article was first recommended to me by Mark Strom many years ago. And it made an impact on me then. And I just reread it and thought it would be worthwhile doing a postscript, a bit of a diversion, and sharing it with you because I think it's, it's a significant article. It's making really powerful points. And most of you would not be aware of it or probably have the time to read it. We'll just be summarising the article. I will make one point about it, which is that uh, Douglas Campbell, who is widely seen as the a very significant um, scholar of Paul, some people have said uh, the most significant Paul scholar since Karl Barth, and very much, um, I think, with a picture of the gospel that's in accordance with or we're in accordance with him would be a more humble way to put it um, in gospel conversations. But he acknowledges Stendhal's article in that book, calls it a brilliant paper. His only criticism of it is it doesn't go far enough. Uh, and I would agree with that. Now, you can't blame Stendhal. He can't do everything. The article is called The Apostle Paul and the Introspective Conscience of the West. So the title is telling. Actually, he gave the article as an address to the annual meeting of the American Psychological Association. 
interestingly, in 1961. To summarise the article, he says that our view of sin in the West, that's important, he's going to make quite a bit out of that, is introspective and individual. And he's going to claim that the development of that introspection and individuality is essentially the troubled conscience, the idea that sin is a grappling, anxiety-filled grappling, always a failure with the dark side of our nature. Now, he says that this is then read back onto the Apostle Paul, and it's anachronistic that Paul did not have any such concept of sin. I'm not going to summarize the article sequentially, more thematically. Um, He gives a lot of the responsibility for the development of this introspective, individualized uh, view of sin to St. Augustine um, in the Confessions. And he says that the idea of the gospel being a grappling with individual sin was not present in the theology of the first 350 years of the church, nor was the corollary of justification by faith. They were writing and thinking about other other issues than that. But Augustine, often called the first modern person in the confessions, developed this idea of this internal grappling with with sin so one can view the confessions as like the psychological pretext to the gospel that Augustine was going to develop and according to Stendhal take the gospel down a wrong path he doesn't say it as bluntly as that but that's the strong implication that in turn Augustine's move then laid the foundations for medieval monasticism the asceticism and in turn, the modern pathology of self-denial, guilt, and internal struggle. In particular, he explains Luther's Augustinian heritage as being positioned in, in that Augustinian anthropology of the grappling, the individual grappling with sin. Um, And thus, Luther's great discovery of justification by faith as um, freedom from a a troubled conscience, he sees as a development of this Augustinian framing of the gospel. Then he says this psychology, let's call it a psychology of sin, gets retrofitted back and becomes a theology uh, onto a reading of Paul, that Paul himself struggled with sin in exactly the same way Luther did. Romans 7 is often seen as the proof text of that. So Stendhal says, essentially, is this trajectory justified? Is that what Paul meant? Or is it a retrofitting of a modern semi-Freudian psychology of sin backwards onto Paul? Did Paul indeed have a troubled conscience? He said, well, if he really did, then you would expect to find a a similar struggle of conscience in Paul. You'd expect what Luther went through, you know, guilt, torment over the struggle with private sins, whatever they were, greed or envy or what, and thus indirectly a view of salvation, which would be the answer to this struggle. Do we find that? His answer unequivocally is no. His answer is the concept of the introspective conscience and the struggle with internal sin is not Pauline. 
On the contrary, he said Paul had a robust conscience and he boasts about it. He actually does say in Romans 7 that his will wants to do good, the good that I want to do. Contrary to the Augustinian assumption of a perverted will, Paul actually says he wants the good. He has a telling line in, in his article, which is as a result of this robustness of conscience, forgiveness term as a term for salvation is used least of all in Paul's writings. The conclusion I had come to myself quite individually many years ago, but it's probably the predominant term today, you know, that we present the gospel as forgiveness of sins. Primarily, well, it was a, it was a subsidiary term for, for Paul. So that's his claim, which, which we'll go on and look at some of the scriptures that he diagnoses to support that. But what was Paul's real problem then if it wasn't a grappling with sin? What was Paul really grappling with? And Stendhal says it is the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, and thus the role of the law, and thus the role of the law in the life of the Gentiles. And that Stendhal says in the first 300 years or so, the, the church fully understood this and read Paul that way until Augustine and his confessions took it off another, in another path. So let's look at this problem. A problem for which, by the way, Christ will be the solution, <laughs> very importantly. And he sees this problem ar arising from Paul's apostleship, which was a call to the Gentiles. I think that we all know that's true, but we probably don't recognize what a revolutionary, culturally disruptive calling that would have been for a, for a, a Pharisaical Jew. And really, reading the Acts of the Apostles, it, it is a drama. The Acts of the Apostles is a drama of the conflict that this calling caused, which is the inclusion of the Gentiles. The reason we don't recognize, Stendhal says and implies, he implies it more than says it, but the reason that we as modern readers don't see that as the problem is it, the battle's been won. The battle's been won. Now, primarily, the church is Gentile, so we've forgotten it was ever an issue. But in the genesis of the gospel in its planting on the earth and its beginning to be socialized into the Gentile system, it was the critical issue. Now, let's just step back a little bit from this because I think we can generalize that the gospel, God's work in the world, is always amplifying. It, it is evolving, it's growing, and certainly our, it's evolving and growing at the very least in our awareness of it, but I think also in its working in the world. It's working into a broader and broader scale. And that scale is bigger always than we, than we anticipate, bigger and better. And as a result, your theology has to change. Now, in Paul's day, this expansion was into the Gentiles. But a hot issue flowed from this for Paul as, as the champion of the Gentiles. The issue is, where do the Gentiles fit? And what implication does this have for the Jews? Does this disqualify 
all of our history, all of our covenants, all of our heritage. Where are we now in the story? Um, and this was the burning issue that he says is the major topic of Romans, the major topic of Galatians, not original sin and justification, because Romans and Galatians are the books most frequently put forward as the justification by faith books. So he makes the point in the article, a point that certainly we've made before and others, but he's clear. Romans 9 to 11 is the climax of the book of Romans. Chapter 8 is not the climax. Romans 9 to 11 is the climax. It is not an appendix. That's the, those are the chapters where he, he begins to explore the implications of the Gentiles being included and therefore what place the Jews has. And it's very important to recognize that Romans 9, 10 and 11 culminate in one of the most explicit statements of universalism, Paul's universalism um, in his epistles. I actually think that Paul's grappling with the Jew-Gentile issue is his version of the universalist argument today. What I see is the quote-unquote universalist or cosmic redemption framing of the gospel is essentially just an expanding of the horizons of the gospel. Now that generally happens in response to a situation. The expansion happens, it's got the same contours of experience in, in different ages, which is people are put into an experience that's now bigger than they'd expected. I mean, Peter gets thrown out in Joppa and he actually meets Gentiles. You know, he's gonna meet them, right? His theology's way behind that, not, not ready for that experience. Paul is expanding and now the whole of the Gentile kingdom is coming in. It's an expansion. How do we fit? What's this say about God and the gospel in the past? The time when um, cosmic redemptional universalism certainly pressed itself upon the human mind was, was the age of exploration in the 16th century when people are now discovering China and South America and suddenly there are these millions, billions of people who never heard the gospel. Where do they fit? So what you have to do then is develop a theology that matches your experience and your calling. God's doing something bigger, more extensive than we ever thought possible. What does that say about the point of our history? And by the way, this is where Douglas Campbell, I think quite rightly, critiques Stendhal's argument and says, really, there's a theology implicit in Stendhal that he's, he doesn't develop. But the way Paul develops it in Romans anyway, is that he begins to see that salvation as a drama, bigger than we thought, an unfolding story with twists and turns, but all the twists and turns are within the boundaries of the author of the story, God. And the trajectory of the story is toward a, a wondrous purpose, uh, which makes the whole story make sense. So that's Paul's problem. What, not just where do the Gentiles fit, but then what does that say about the Jews? What does that say about the law? How do they come together? What's the end goal of all where he gets his great visions of the unity of all things in Christ? So that's Stendhal's argument. And let me just conclude with some examples to back up what Stendhal is saying. He makes this statement that 
we look in vain for any statement in Paul in which he speaks about himself as a sinner. That's really interesting because I think a lot of people would dispute that. But I think, incorrectly, Stendhal's argument is not a generalised argument. He's very specific and goes in some detail into the text. I can't go into them all. I just want to mention the big ones, which I think are important. And he makes points which uh, were not new to me. I've, I've seen them myself. I just think any good reading of the epistle sees them. So the first one is Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, where Paul is talking about his life before Christ, he doesn't call, call himself a troubled sinner. He doesn't call himself anything like someone who's grappling with uh, inner torments like Luther. In fact, he says in Philippians 3, verse 6, that as for the law, I was blameless. He actually says, I was blameless. The issues that he's calling refuse in that whole chapter there are not a past life of sin refuse that has to be left behind. That would be the typical way we would frame it. Not at all. What he has to leave behind is his righteousness, his success. His success is, is what is refuse and not his depraved nature. So Philippians 3 is a clear case where there's, there, there's no introspective conscience. There's no grappling with guilt. What he's grappling with is the failure of his success as a Pharisee. Another passage that Stendhal looks at is Romans 2 and 3, the discussion of sin in Romans 2 and 3. And, and there he makes a point that the sin being discussed, the failure being discussed, is not a failure of individual Jews to keep the law. It's the nation of Israel having failed collectively. So it's, I suppose, Paul's version of Ezekiel's geopolitical failure. We, we, we were called to bless the world and we haven't. It hasn't worked. Even more importantly, and, and I think tellingly, the real point, this is what Stendhal says, that Paul is making in Romans 2 and 3, is to put Jews and Gentiles on the same footing. And that footing cannot be the law. If we allow the law to remain primary, then only the Jews get saved because the law is their exclusive asset. So in order to put Jews and Gentiles on the same footing, he has to show the law did not succeed in making Israel righteous. If the law did not succeed in making Israel righteous, then the law cannot be the basis of salvation. That's his argument. Because of that argument, he's able to move to, therefore, we need another basis or ground of salvation, which is Christ and his works, not the law and his works. And to conclude that bit of the argument, what Stendhal says is the only repentance or metanoia which now counts and the only grace which now counts is the one now available in Messiah Jesus. That's where Paul wants to get to. Once this has been seen, it appears that Paul's references to the impossibility of fulfilling the law is part of a theological and scriptural argument about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, wanting to put them onto the same footing. Philippians 3, Romans 2 and 3. The next big one, which I found really good, is Galatians 3.24. That's the famous passage uh, where Paul says, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now, the way Luther viewed that is that the law functions to crush our self-righteousness, to show us how reprobate we are because we can't keep it. 
convict us of sin and bring us to Christ. So it's a universal use of the law to prepare us to come to Christ. And Stendhal rejects that because he says that the argument in Galatians is that the us is the Jews and that contrary to Jewish expectations, Paul is arguing for the possibility of Gentiles entering the covenant. That's what Galatians is about. And indeed, immediately after he says that the law is a um, schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, um, he concludes that argument by saying, so therefore there is no Jew nor Greek. That's the famous verse at the end of Galatians 3. Um, he's saying Jews and Greeks are on the same footing before God. And so that leads to the question, what then was the role of the law? And says the role of the law is a custodian, not schoolmaster. That's a bad translation. Stendhal makes that point, that that particular translation is misleading. The RV and the AV have said the law was our schoolmaster, but the Revised Standard Version translates more adequately, the law was our custodian until Christ came. David Bentley Hart's got an interesting note on that same word, that it was almost like a nanny who took the children to school and back. So it's got some idea, uh, not of teaching and schoolmastering, but, but just taking care of in an interim period. And the us are the Jews, nobody else. That's Stendhal's point. When Paul says the law was our custodian to bring us to Christ, he's saying us Jews, that's its role. Its role was temporary. It's now superseded by Christ. He's not universalizing it to say this is how all mankind comes to Christ through some grappling. The corollary of the law is, 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 a, is a grappling with sin as if the law provokes the introspective conscience. So, again, Stendhal's words, it is clear that Paul's problem is how to explain why there is no reason to impose the law on Gentiles, who now, in God's good messianic time, have become partakers in the fulfilment of the promises to Abraham. Romans 7, I've talked about Romans 7 before. People look at Romans 7 as the archetypal internal struggle of the conscience. Look, it's absolutely not that. Stendhal makes the point. It is a case study again, about the limitations of the law and its limitations to work and bring about righteousness. So Stendhal says that uh, there is no indication that Paul ever thought of this as sins for which he was responsible. Romans 7, I think, is clearly another proof point in an argument for the weaknesses of the law and its limitations. In conclusion, a couple of short points. He talks about weaknesses, a really nice point about this. That when Paul talks about weaknesses, he, he's never thinking about sins. He's thinking about physical afflictions, and there's no sense they were the result of sin. Rather, they're barbs from the enemy or from enemies, and which actually, which actually um, help him to discover the power of Christ in those weaknesses. So those are another whole slice of verses that cannot be put underneath this troubled conscience grappling with sin. In conclusion, is Stendhal saying sin doesn't matter? Well, not at all. He's not saying that at all. The one sin he says Paul does personally confess to is persecuting the church. Whenever he talks about individual sin, that's what he has in mind. But, it's, but in general, the word sin is a capital S sin, which is the universal condition of humanity, which has caused death, which has caused the circumstances and the system in which we live. 
It's not an individual grappling with sin. So absolutely, Stendhal would say sin and defeat of sin and death by Christ is central to Paul's gospel. So he's not diminishing sin at all, but what he's diminishing and challenging is the framing of sin as introspective grappling and the individual framing of it, which he says has dominated the Western mind.